Today, we're talking about Twilight Zone, the movie. A 1983 science fiction horror anthology film produced by Steven Spielberg and John Landis, based on the Rod Sterling's 1959 to 1964 television series of the same name. Now, we're going to be talking a little less about the actual movie here and more about the tragedy that befell the set of The Twilight Zone. Welcome back. Thank you so much for your continued support to YHS. Yes, have some. Whether it's, you know, the main feed, the Patreon. Oh, boy. Book of Boba Fett. Boba Fett Book Club. What are we calling that thing? Book it. Um, Pizza Hut. Uh, or YHS on Monster Island. Whatever we got going on. Toy Anxiety. Just thank you. Thank you for listening. Now, listen. If this sounds a little different, if you hear some birds or a car... Or some people yelling. I'm outside today. I'm on my... Oh, here's a car coming right now. I'm sure you can hear this. Silver. Four-door. Sedan. I don't know what it is. Anyway, um, I'm chilling on my porch. It's comfortable out here today. It's nice and cool. I got some blankets out here. I got a, I got some tea. I might drink a little tea in, my, in, a, in a cup. And I just wanted to talk to you guys a little bit about... The Twilight Zone movie, um, you know, I, I said it in the intro. We're not going to talk too much about the movie. We're going to talk about what happened. Um, you know, usually YHS keeps it pretty light, pretty fun. And even though we are talking about the Twilight Zone here, I'm doing a deep dive into the tragedy that happened on the set. And I, and I want to be clear here. And I want to give a little bit of a warning. You might hear me joke. You might hear me laugh around like I usually do. Just being myself here. But please, just know that there's no, you know, there's no offense attended here. I'm not making light of what happened. Uh, it was a truly awful thing, and it could have been avoided. And I have just realized that a lot of people have no idea about any of this, and and that's why we're going to talk about it today. I think it's, you know, I think it's important for people to know this story. Twilight Zone is, uh, it's kind of fresh in my mind. I rewatched it last night. I've seen it many times growing up, and I, I've always thought of it as a very fun film. It's an anthology film with four segments, three of which are remakes of classic episodes. One was written for the film, and that's the one that we're mainly going to be focusing on. All um, four segments here were directed by different directors, and it also includes a, a prologue starring Uncle Dan Aykroyd, which is pretty great. Now, segment one, I'm going to go through, I'm going to give you kind of a quick rundown of what each segment um, is about um, and who the director is, and I'm going to kind of, you know what, let's just get into it. Segment one is called Time Out, starring Vic Morrow and directed by John Landis. Now, if you don't know who John Landis is, he also directed at American Werewolf in London, Coming to America, Animal House, The Blues Brothers. He's done some stuff. He also is known for being um, the father of one of the worst people on the planet, Max Landis. 
Cool. Segment two is called Kick the Can, directed by Steven Spielberg. And uh, just a loose, I'll, I'll do a loose, um, we'll do a loose plot here for segment two, three, and four. And then I'm going to circle back to segment one. Loose plot for segment two, Kick the Can, directed by Steven Spielberg. An old man moves into a retirement home and he invites the other elders into a magical game of Kick the Can that allows them to be young again. It, it very much has, uh, you know, that Amblin, you know, feel to it. It's great. Uh, Steven Spielberg and John Landis were good friends and collaborators before this film. And after this, Steven Spielberg cut off his friendship with John for reasons we will get into shortly. Um, segment three was titled It's a Good Life, directed by Joe Dante, who also directed Gremlins. It's a Good Life is one of the more, I'd say, famous uh, Twilight Zone episodes. It's about a young boy named Anthony who can wish anything he wants to uh, into or out of existence, basically. Yes. Uh, Segment four, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. This has got to be the most famous of any Twilight Zone anything. This was directed by George Miller, who, if you don't recognize that name, he directed all of the Mad Max movies and um, Happy Feet. Uh, while flying through a violent thunderstorm, a passenger witnesses a horrible creature riding on the wing of the plane. That's a good one. Everybody knows that one. Even if you don't know The Twilight Zone, you know about the, the thing on the wing. William Shatner uh, was in the original episode. John Lithgow plays the passenger in the movie. It's very good. Oh boy, so um, let's get back into segment one here. Plot is pretty heavy. <laughs> the plot is pretty heavy for this. Twilight Zone was known for having some episodes that, you know, dove into real world issues, and and I can see why they included this. But when the rest of your segments really silly, and scary, and just plain fun, it makes this first one seem even more out of place. Especially how, especially after how awesome and playful the prologue of the movie is. You got Dan Aykroyd. Um, just kind of being fun at the very beginning, and then it you know cuts right into time out. And here we go. So Vic Morrow, the actor, he plays the character Bill Connor, who is just a really a really big piece of shit here. He's been passed over for a promotion, and he's ranting at a bar about how his coworker only got the job because he's Jewish. He goes on a racist rampage here dropping all kinds of slurs it's very uncomfortable he gets he gets you know he he almost gets beat up he gets threatened he gets told to leave the bar so he leaves the bar but when he does he's suddenly in nazi occupied france and he gets interrogated by some ss officers a chase ensues He's being shot at, and time keeps jumping. He keeps ending up in the middle of a different, some sort of different racist clash. He ends up getting chased and almost hung by the KKK. 
he ends up in a jungle in the Vietnam War and he's being fired at by American soldiers. He then gets launched back into France. He is captured by the officers, put on a train along with Jewish prisoners bound for a concentration camp. And through the slats of the train, he can see the bar where he started and he can see his friends outside of the bar looking around for him. He screams for help, but they cannot hear or see him. The train pulls away. The end. Ooh. <laughs> so fun, right? That's what you want. You, you know, so fun to see this. Boy. It's so crazy to me. I'm not, we're not going to talk stay on this too much, but it's so crazy to me that that's the first that's your first one and then you immediately go from all of that into Steven Spielberg directing a bunch of old people to play kick the can and have fun. It's so weird. <sighs> all right. So, I'm going to get into what happened here. There was originally a scene that happened on the last day of filming where the character of Bill saves two Vietnamese children. And this was supposed to show a change of heart for that character. Um, now, there are a lot of articles out there that chronicle all of this information. It's widely available. There is footage. There was a huge legal case. I'm going to be pulling a lot of my info here from articles I've read. There's a really really big in-depth article called The Twilight Zone Tragedy by Denise No. It's on truetv.com. There's a good one on slate.com as well. And I just wanted to call some of these out because a lot of this just comes straight from them. There's a lot of info out there. There are um, documentaries. There's an episode of Cursed Films that covers this. There are other podcasts. But I just wanted to talk to it because even... I just wanted to talk about it because even though there's so much info out there... And this was such a big deal. I just, I still find that a lot of people don't know. So, this is just for you guys. Um, let's see. Uh, you know, before we keep going, it's just one more um, small bit of warning. I, I'm about to describe what happened on the set. And it, it's a pretty grisly accident. And if you don't want to hear those details... Um, then you can just skip forward a little bit. But like I said before, I think it's pretty important to know what happened and uh, just that the story's out there. So the character of Bill had a scene where he was going to be running through a swamp in the jungle of Vietnam trying to outrun the American soldiers. He's being shot up. He picks up two kids, try to rush them to safety. And as he's running through that swamp, there is a helicopter above them. There's an explosion. Um, now, this was on the last day of film. Everything else was filmed. This is the very last thing. Um, the explosion happens. There's a couple explosions, but explosion happens. The helicopter was too close to the explosion, and the rear rotor of the helicopter is knocked out. It spins out of control, and it crashes. The blades of the helicopter... Um, they decapitated Vic Morrow and one of the children while the skids of the helicopter crushed the other and all three died instantly. Rene Shin Yi Chen was six years old 
and Micah Dinley was only seven. When it happened, John Landis called for everybody to just drop everything and leave set immediately. And there's a lot of confusion about the factors that led to this because everybody was trying to shift the blame onto somebody else. There are some very, very questionable decisions made by John Landis and the producers. This accident happened at 2.30 in the morning, and they shouldn't have even been filming at 2.30 in the morning. The child labor laws prevent that from taking place um, at a time like that. But instead of changing his shooting schedule, he got a little creative in his hiring process. And since the children did not have speaking parts, he could technically cast them as extras, and he would not have to go through the agency. So right away, we're being pretty sketchy here. He also decided to leave the kids' names off of the call sheets and to pay the parents under the table. This is all pretty illegal. There were multiple people on set that voiced concern about the shoot. People knew it was dangerous to have the explosions going off uh, with a low-flying helicopter and children on set. Anderson House, who was the second assistant director, he asked about alternatives to getting the shot. And they were all rejected because Landis thought they would look too phony. Um, the mother of one of the children asked if it was dangerous. And she was told by George Folsley, who was in charge of finding the children, and he was also um, one of the four men who... Uh, went to court for this he said in and I, I'm quoting him directly no not dangerous just a loud noise he's also quoted as joking around when they were discussing the illegal hiring of the kids saying we'll probably all be thrown in jail for this so right off the fucking bat like there's a lot of weirdness going on the fire safety officers on this film were concerned that the helicopter might crash because of the size of the explosions, but his concerns never made it to the filmmakers, and when he was asked about that in court, he said, that's not the way the chain of command works in the fire department. I don't even know what that means. Once filming of the scene started, John Landis was heard commanding over the loudspeaker, for the helicopter to drop lower and lower and lower, and that's something that he was specifically warned against. Um, the, the parents were on set, watched this entire thing happen, which is horrifying. And after the incident, John Landis, George Falsley, they delivered eulogies at Morrow's funeral, and both of them remarked about the film at his funeral. Um, one of them said, if there is any consolation in any of this, it is that the film was finished. This performance must not be lost. The film is immortal, such and such. They were coming off so self-serving and being weird, and a lot of people, a lot of people thought it was a really bad taste a decision to even put the segment still in the film you know they argued that it would be disrespectful of you know Vic Morrow to not put his final 
performance on film, but everybody, a lot of people were just like, uh, you guys just sound like you want to put a movie out, make some money. There was um, a huge court case that was opened. All of the families filed lawsuits. There was so much back and forth trying to determine if there was any criminal liability. So much confusion here. Lots and lots of sketchy things going down. Everybody just trying to save themselves. Some of the crew refused to even answer any questions. They got up on the stand and just would not talk. Um, John Landis testified. He blamed others. He said that he assumed that the helicopter and the explosions had been worked out because these men are experts and they're licensed by the government to do their jobs. Then they must have done their jobs right. He just put it all on everybody else. There are pages and pages written about what happened in this courtroom. Most of it is very frustrating, and most of it paints John Landis to be maybe just as big of a piece of shit as his son. <laughs> I mean, you know, he he was accused of faking crying on the stand. The jury watched the footage of the accident. At one point, the pilot of the helicopter blamed Vic Morrow for his own death, saying that he should have been watching the helicopter better, and if he would have, he could have gotten out of the way, which is completely ridiculous because he's carrying two children, he's knee-deep in a swamp, there are multiple explosions, there's gunfire going off, and there's a fucking helicopter above us. Like, you cannot... It all happens in, like, five seconds, you know? By the time you could tell that there was something wrong with the helicopter, it's on top of you. Pretty crazy stuff. On Friday, um, May the 29th, 1987, the jury did reach a verdict in this case. and John Landis was found not guilty of involuntary manslaughter. Each count, all not guilty. Nobody was held accountable. John Landis kept making movies. George Folsley continued working with Landis. Paul Stewart, who was in charge of the explosions kept working in special effects and Dorsey Wingo, the helicopter pilot, continued working for Western Helicopters. There's all kinds of like talk about how you know Paul wasn't really paying attention when he let the explosions off, that he wasn't paying attention to where the helicopter was and the helicopter pilot was getting too low at the command of John Landis, even though he knew he shouldn't have been. It's it just it really sounds like every single person who had a you know, who had a hand in what happening, all of them were just so not paying attention or they were maybe not <laughs> as good at their jobs as they thought they were. Everybody was being too comfortable and lazy with everything and it really sounds like all four of these men are are maybe to blame for what happened and they all acted you know as soon as the court case happened they all acted like it was insane that they would they should be in court and you know john landis is you can you can read articles and he was on shows you know daytime tv shows like a month after the court case ended and he was just like i can't believe they put me through all of this and it's like uh dude you killed three people. There are rumors that John Landis and the others held a party 
one year after the trial to celebrate not being in jail and to celebrate being shitty people, I guess. I don't know. The movie was released. Um, All of the footage of the children was completely cut out. So, you know, they, they completely had to cut the angle where the character finds, like, a redemption. He just stays a piece of shit all the way through, which I guess is fitting for John Landis. Um, the reviews were all pretty bad for the movie, and especially for this segment that Landis directed. Like, some of the old reviews are straight up like, hey, um, nobody deserved to die for a movie, especially this fucking piece of shit. It's a lot of weirdness, but, you know, because of what happened, um, because of what happened on this film, there was a a Warner Brothers executive, John Silva, he created a committee that's specifically for creating new standards on the use of um, aircrafts, explosions, smoke effect, pyrotechnics, and just other hazards that might come into play on a film set. Um, A lot of stuff has changed, like this... This tragedy is is the cause of a lot of change in the movie industry. The way the insurance companies handle movies was changed. Risk management became a thing on movie sets. It wasn't before this. The child labor laws were changed. So a lot of a lot of good came out of it. But you know, John Landis still out there, still making stuff. Uh, I think he he might have made some of his bigger movies after this uh, he was like 36 years old when when this happened which is how old I am right now and it just seems so crazy to think about directly being responsible for three people's death you know I just can't understand it and it, it's crazy to me how defensive um and sort of obviously guilty he was and he just didn't he didn't have to deal with any of that. That's that's pretty insane to me. You know, I've done a lot of reading about this case. I've known about it for a long time. And, and there have been multiple times in my life where I've kind of fallen down the rabbit hole of rereading all the information. Um, I've seen the footage, and, I, and I'm not telling anybody to go out there and look for the footage. It is out there. It's not super graphic, um, but it but it is out there. And... I feel like I'm just scratching the surface here of of the court case and and just everything that happened. You know, I've been, you know, reading about it all night and, you know, all day today to kind of get ready to record this episode. And, you know, I left out a lot of the, uh, I just left out so much of, you know, the back and forth in the court cases because that's stuff that, you know, I gave you the broad strokes, like, all that other stuff is there's just so it's it's just going to frustrate you if you if you want to get it all look up those articles that I that I mentioned um the one that's on true tv it's like 10 pages deep and it is just full of is just there's just so much to it i think this case lasted a little over a year it was a big it was a big deal now i know this has been sort of a downer uh, of an episode and I apologize for that um I, I didn't mean to get on here and just be all serious with everybody the whole time but I don't know can't really play around with stuff like that but we you know I will say um if this deters you from watching the Twilight Zone movie then 
I think that's perfectly fine because it is really hard to watch that first segment and just not think about this the entire time and just how weird it is. And, like, you know, I said earlier about Vic Morrow, like, they fought because it was his final performance. And I'm like, you know, maybe the man wouldn't have wanted his final performance to be of a racist. So, I don't know, man. But... You know, if you do want to put it on and skip the first segment and, you know, watch the prologue, watch, you know, Uncle Dan do his thing and, um, you know, watch the Steven Spielberg, the Joe Dante, uh, you know, George Miller, watch those, you know, um, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet with John Lithgow is great. There's some cool creature effects in there. It's, it's a very fun, thrilling episode that I have, I've, I've been on a lot of airplanes in my life. Fly, fly a lot and there has not been one time ever that I have not thought about the Twilight Zone and I think a lot of people have you know I think even if you haven't seen the Twilight Zone you know there's something on the wing so I'll leave you with that thank you for listening to Yes Have Some thank you for joining me on another episode of You Ought to Know I'm sorry it was a downer I promise the next one will will be silly. I promise the next one will be more fun. Thank you all for sticking with us. Join Patreon, please. There's a lot of goodies in there. Please join the Patreon. Check us out on YouTube. Give us some reviews. Give us everything. My name is Jacob Walsh. This has been You Ought to Know. Quick little P.S. I think my neighbors just started fighting, yelling at each other. So this either ended at the perfect time or the worst time. Bye, guys.